It's all in your head. Or rather, it's all in your mindset. Our mindset, how we interpret and react to the world around us, affects how we give and receive feedback, how we learn, innovate, and include others. And when the world turns upside down, your mindset becomes more critical than ever before. Often we panic, but panic and paralysis aren't inevitable reactions to crisis. While some people fall apart, others rise to the occasion, taking challenges not as threats, but as opportunities to grow and improve. At NLI, we've been studying mindsets for years, and we've been helping individuals and whole organizations cultivate adaptive mindsets to thrive through difficult times. Here's how we do it, and how you can too. I'm Gabriel Berezin, and you're listening to Your Brain at Work from the Neuroleadership Institute. We continue to draw our episodes from a weekly webinar series that NLI has been hosting every Friday. This week, our panel features NLI co-founder and CEO, Dr. David Rock, and senior researcher, Michaela Simpson. Together, they unpack the power of mindset. In a lively discussion, they share the research that suggests how we can cultivate adaptive mindsets at scale and explain the specific habits needed to build cultures of resilience. Enjoy. We're going to talk about growth mindset. Actually, I want to do a little more on mindsets and talk about the mindsets, plural, we need now more than ever to kind of thrive through this time and what crazy times. But, you know, it's been interesting connecting with uh, really hundreds and hundreds of leaders in the last few months. And many people are, of course, really struggling, but many people also doing well. And many people really struggling and finding silver linings and ways to really you know, maximize this time personally as well as organizationally. And I think that's an interesting place. You can have some really difficult things happening in your life, but also actually having some great experiences through this. And how do we kind of get to that place as best we can is, is kind of the theme for today. If you don't know, uh, those of you who don't know, NLI give you a very quick snapshot for those new to the organization. So we're, we're actually 22 years old this year. We're based in, in 24 countries, big global footprint, advisor to over 50 of the Fortune 100. And our vision is actually making organizations more human through science. And we've never been busier because suddenly companies care about humans and science. So we've been very busy helping organizations think about the deeper cognitive science, particularly of thriving through this time, both individually and team and organizationally as well. So let's dig into that a little bit. Before we get into growth mindset, I wanted to kind of anchor on some of the things that might be happening in our brains. And one of my favorite things to do is kind of labeling and identifying what's going on for all of us. And right now, this, you know, I started talking about this in March when the pandemic first hit, that there's this pendulum and this wildly swinging pendulum is back for better or worse. And I want to talk about it a little bit. And particularly as we sort of get closer to the end of the year, there's a lot of people have been saying to themselves kind of unconsciously or, or even consciously, like, I'm so glad 2020 is over. It's been a write-off. Next year is going to be great. And I've got some good news and some bad news about that. The good news is by the end of maybe a week from now, you're going to feel a whole lot better. The bad news is you might feel a whole lot worse till then. But I think that there's a situation right now where we're, lots and lots of people are being overly optimistic and underreacting to uh, kind of the data and what's really likely to happen and, and being kind of hopeful that things will improve soon. And there's nothing wrong with hope. Hope is a wonderful strategy at times. Denial is a wonderful strategy at times. Distraction is a wonderful strategy at times. These things sometimes are adaptive. I don't personally think 
that they're very adaptive right now. And the reason for that is that it keeps you in a kind of heightened state of alertness and a heightened state of ambiguity and uncertainty where many, many decisions don't get made from this place. So, so there's a lot of people in this place of feeling like, well, a vaccine's going to happen really soon. Everything's going to be back to normal, but there's just no data supporting that when you really look at it. There's another end of the pendulum, which is the sky is falling, the world is ending. And there are certainly people that are really struggling in in so many domains that it does feel like the sky is falling for them. But for others, perhaps there's a lot of folks in very high threat, catastrophizing enormously. Obviously, the election is going to bring a lot of emotions in North America and possibly more. But there's an overreacting right now. Now, the challenge with both of these ends is that you don't do really important work that is essential right now. Now, on the underreacting side, basically you have no incentive to really think about the data and really kind of improve things because you're just like in denial and you just, you just assume it will get better. It's like, oh, I don't want to invest my time into rethinking my whole life because it's going to just get better soon anyway. That's what we tell ourselves. On the far right there, we don't have the cognitive resources to actually think well, right? So we don't, we don't want to think well or we can't think well at either end. And what we need to do in the middle is have the right mindsets that help us to actually scenario plan. And we can't predict the future. We can't be certain about the future, but we can kind of see some different scenarios and think about those. And this mindset in the middle is really important. And to me right now, this mindset is is kind of accepting, and and I'm sorry, I'm going to apologize in advance for anyone this upsets, but I think the most adaptive thing right now is actually to accept that 2021 is going to be as disrupted and difficult and complicated as 2020, maybe even more so. And to kind of settle into that and accept that and get to work at, at, at making things a little better on that assumption. And probably the most realistic scenario is, you know, sometime in 2022, we get to a place where it starts to feel like things are uh, back to normal in terms of the sort of socializing and patterns of life that we're used to. So as hard as that is to accept, kind of accepting that this is really difficult and it will last a lot longer is probably the mindset to actually have. But this really brings us to something that we talked about early in the pandemic, which I think has become even more important right now. And that's the Stockdale paradox. So Jim Stockdale was a Navy colonel. He dropped into Vietnam or his his plane was down. He got landed in a prisoner of war camp, basically ended up in a prisoner of war camp, was the most senior military person in that camp. And what he noticed was that lots of people didn't survive the prisoner of war camp. And guess what? It was people either at overly optimistic that didn't survive or people that were overly pessimistic that didn't survive. And he found that the people who did survive had this unusual blend he called a paradox of of this belief in eventual success, but combined with a deep acceptance of the harsh reality. And what we're seeing, and I'm seeing it from hundreds of people, like clients, friends, colleagues, all sorts of people like, oh, just feeling like it's all going to be done by early next year, it's going to be done. And it sounds tremendously like the stories he would tell of folks who thought they would be home by Christmas and then would fall apart. So I think right now it's a really, really healthy thing, as scary as it is to process this. It's a really healthy thing to say, look, 2022, maybe even 2023, going to be amazing. Eventually this will sort out and we will look back on this with amazement at what we did and what we learned and how we changed. But it's going to be really hard and really long until then and kind of settle into this. And that if you're sort of just hearing that for the first time and you're just like, you know, frustrated with it, just let it sink in, see, you know, sit with it. It might take a week or even two weeks of just kind of really reflecting on that before you can get to this next step, which is the really important one. And this next step is followed by taking action to make things even a little better. 
So what you want to do from this place, and he didn't sort of have this third step. So the Stockdale paradox was just kind of these two. But the third step is really, really important. And that's, all right, now you know you're going to be here for a while. It's a prisoner of war camp or prisoner of COVID. Now you know you're going to be here for a while. What can you do to make things that little bit better and really take control of your environment any way you can? And that feeling of control is so helpful for reducing an overall stress response and helping you survive, literally and psychologically as well. So, so that's the stock paradox. Now, what does that mean to like make things a little bit better? This is literally a growth mindset. And what I wanted to do is kind of put the Stockdale work aside for a minute and, and talk about growth mindset. Now, this isn't just COVID. This is also, you know, the, the incredible racial crises that are happening, obviously political crisis. There's a lot of things that are really difficult at the moment all at once. And we have to imagine that it's going to eventually get to a better place, all of these things but it's going to be difficult in the process. And how can we actually make things you know, a little better, not just, uh, not just COVID. So growth mindset. So we started working on growth mindset quite a while ago. The first paper we published was in 2016, although we actually published something before that, about 2014, on the relevance of growth mindset for performance management. So we were starting to weave growth mindset into performance management from about 2012, 2013, and then published the first piece. We came out with Organizational Growth Mindset in 2016. It took a a while to publish that. That first paper you see on screen is a really important paper. If you're from an organization and you want to understand this concept, uh, strongly recommend getting that paper, getting your head around it. It's all the studies that help you understand what it is and why it's relevant, how it works in an organizational context. What we've done since then, we haven't published any other original journal papers, but we've actually done four industry research reports. So one was the first one there, the idea report, followed by more about performance management, followed by a case study set. And then we just came out recently with how it supports organizations through disruption. So it's a series of industry reports available to members that are super helpful about kind of seeing what it looks like in reality. So first of all, for those of you who are kind of new to the concept, let me just give you a definition. The belief that your abilities in any domain, so it's domain specific, like you know, music, art, cooking, technology, a particular client. So it's domain specific. No one has a generalized growth mindset or fixed mindset. So it's the belief that your abilities in any domain can be developed through dedication and hard work, that brains and talent are just the starting point, right? That you're not inherently or innately good or bad in any particular domain. And that's really important. It turns out that that belief has an enormous impact. Are you inherently or innately good or bad in a domain? So a fixed mindset is this belief that in that domain that you're not innately good at something, let's say technology, maybe you just never really played much with technology, didn't learn to code, didn't sort of come through that time. You just believe you're not innately a technology person. Maybe you're really good with people and artistic things, creative things, but you've decided you're not a technology person, right? From that belief, you think you can't change much because you're not innately good. So you don't put much effort right? You don't really like feedback. You avoid it at all costs because it just reminds you you're bad. Stretch goals are just a chance to fail dismally. So you don't set those. And that's a problem because stretch goals are where you get the most learning from. And then finally, this is an interesting one. When you work with someone really good at technology, you become less confident. You actually become less confident when you see a positive role model. Now think about this. If you're trying to make someone like digitally savvy, but they have a fixed mindset about technology, Like giving them a mentor, no good. Giving them feedback, no good. Giving them a training course, no good. Giving them a positive role model, no. Like nothing really works if they have a fixed mindset. 
So the mindset we have is upstream from all kinds of interventions we want to do with people. There's almost no point trying to help someone who has a fixed mindset in a domain. It's a really, really uh, important insight. It's, it's upstream from all these other things. Whereas a, a fixed mindset is just the belief that, you know, that we, we can get better, that we can change. It takes effort. It takes feedback. Stretch goals are good. And others' success is a chance to actually learn, right? So it's this thing about innate. So whether it's technology or working from home or dealing with this much change or being a people person or being customer focused, like whatever it is, it's this belief that, you know, I'm not really, that's not really me versus I could get better here. This is the heart of the idea. Basically, you're always trying to prove that you're good because you think you're basically innately not and trying to look good or you're willing to take risks and improve yourself and get better. You believe you can get better, so you're willing to actually improve rather than prove. It's really weird how it works. If you think you can't get better, you just try to prove. But if you think you can get better, you try to improve right, and actually get better. So that's kind of the simplest summary that, that we've got from it. And one of the things that we've learned is there's a meta habit that is really, really important. We've actually tracked the percentage of people who start applying this habit now when you teach it to them. But there's a meta habit of notice and switch your mindset, kind of notice and switch. And what we see when we teach this to people, it's in the order of 90% of people every week start to see a fixed mindset and switch it to a growth mindset. And this is data from really large numbers of people now. So about 90% of people start doing this when you teach them well, which is really great. And this is the high level thing, notice and switch or notice and shift. So when you notice yourself or someone else saying, I'm not good at this technology thing. I don't think I can deal with this much uncertainty or this isn't easy for me to be this hybrid working back and forth from work home. As we hear ourselves or others saying this, we can just literally add the word yet. I don't think I'm good at this technology thing yet. I don't think I can you know, juggle all this yet. So it isn't easy for me yet. And as we, as we say that to ourselves, we shift everything about how we function. So this is the notice and shift. And I think as we look at 2021 as well, we're going to have some new things to like experiment with. You know, when I ask companies, what's the biggest breakthrough they had this year, generally the, the big thing that shows up is shifting to work from home really fast, like in a week. And consistently we hear like, wow, we never thought that was possible. It was unbelievable. Now we're wondering what else is possible right? We're starting to think, hey, what else is possible? If we can make the whole company shift to work from home in just a week, what else could we do, you know, with a deadline? And we'll come back to that in a few minutes. All right, let's dig in. Michaela, I'm going to hand over to you. I think I'll just, I'll frame it up, but there's this sort of meta habit of notice and shift. And then a few years back at NLI, we said, look, what are the most important habits? What are the three most important habits to really anchor on to build this mindset? And how do you really do that? I just noticed a question from Tracy. We'll come back to this. I'll make sure we, uh, we do that towards the end as well. So Michaela, over to you. Do you want to talk through experiment? First of all, we've got experiment, focus on progress, learn from others. These are the critical habits. And by the way, one last thing, don't try and learn these all at once. These are things you want to learn one at a time and really embed and apply and get going. So Michaela, over to you. Thanks, David. So yeah, I'd just like to have us first anchor on the concept of experiment. And what do we mean by experiment? That means trying out new procedures, ideas, activities, pursuing ideas, asking questions, forming hypotheses. So we actually do mean experiment in the sense of, you know, it could be like, you're like, hmm, I think I might do better if I start work an hour earlier and take a mid-morning break. 
that's a hypothesis. And then you can test that out. So there are things that you can introduce in your life, experimenting, and additionally, questioning your beliefs, gathering information from multiple sources. And why we're saying this is really important is because more than ever, and maybe it's always more than ever, that we need to be agile and we need to be innovative. And you know, we think a lot about innovation in terms of work. And innovation requires risk-taking. It requires making mistakes. And experimenting is part of making mistakes. And so we want to get this idea across to you to become comfortable with trying things out, experimenting, making mistakes, taking risks, because that allows us to generate alternative solutions to problems. It helps us engage in new behaviors, and it helps us take note of outcomes and learn from them. And so as you see on the slide here, it says, why remember to experiment? Well, part of it is we go on autopilot a lot, right? There are a lot of things we know how to do in our lives. So we do the same things over and over again. We establish habits and habits serve us and that we don't have to think about them, right? It, it gives us time to just kind of do things automatically and we don't put too much conscious effort into it. But if we want to start adopting more of a growth mindset, that we do want to experiment, we do want to take risks and make mistakes. And that does take conscious effort, which is why we need to remember to experiment. Also, experimenting is scary. It can be scary for some people, and it can be scary for a lot of us, especially if we're in an environment or a work culture that doesn't value experimenting or risk-taking or making mistakes. We might be in a culture that might not be explicit, but implicit is like, no, you don't try new things, you don't make mistakes, or if you do, you don't want anybody to see that. And if you do try something new or take risks, experiment that you might be censured for that. And so we also talk about organizational mindset culture. So there could be organizations that have more of a fixed mindset culture where they will censure people more rather than laud them. Whereas a growth mindset culture, they will see the value that everybody brings to work and their ability to learn and grow through effort, where they see them as having the necessary skills or building the skills to learn and grow. And so... I just want to add one thing before yes, we do this. So uh -huh. interesting, the autopilot. I don't know if people have seen this study, but Dan Gilbert at Harvard did a random sampling study a few years ago of essentially asking the question, when a buzzer went off in your phone, you had to answer the question, you know, where was your mind just now? Was it in the task you're doing or were you mind wandering and mentally elsewhere? And he found that just under half the waking hours, people are actually on autopilot. People are mentally elsewhere. They're not where they should be. Or maybe it's okay if you're driving, that's fine. But so it was this random sampling study using phones and uh, fascinating. So we just, you know, we go on autopilot a lot because it is cognitively taxing, metabolically expensive to actually stay focused. And so we kind of shut down a lot, which means that we're not really there. We're not really thinking actively about what we're doing. And I think about, you know, the servers in a restaurant, for example, who they're mentally not there, they accidentally trip, accidentally do things. Like we're not taking in data fresh if we're right. an autopilot. We're not adapting to changing situations, small or big, if we're in that space. Very much so. And some of you might be thinking, some of you might have heard of the term default mode network. And so that's also this phenomenon that research discovered when they had people in the brain imaging machines where, you know, they put people in doing different tasks and they're looking at, they call oxygenation levels changing in the brain. But that was happening when there were people were doing tasks. And then they started to notice when people were just waiting in between doing tasks, 
they noticed that people did essentially what's called mind wandering and they call it the default mode network. So most of the time, if we're not consciously focused on something and taking in information, then we're just like, our mind is wandering. And as David yeah. said, you could be a server in a restaurant and you know what to do and your mind is just elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you, you trip and, you know, do something, but, or on a trading floor, who knows what. So we want to kind of remind people to experiment that way. But yeah, back to you. Right, yes. And so different ways that we can experiment. So look for potential experiments. Again, in your, in your workplace of maybe you are afraid of technology or using Zoom, well, get on Zoom and just kind of experiment with it and do it when there's nobody else on a call with you. There are different ways we can experiment with things. We can try new ways to solve problems. And also, I think what's really important, especially if we kind of might be a little bit more fixed, have a more of a fixed mindset towards something, is accept that what we try might not work. But guess what? It's okay. We'll just try something new again. So it's an iterative process. And when we keep on getting that feedback from ourselves that, hey, the world didn't fall apart. When I tried something new, it didn't work. I try something again. That actually creates a positive feedback loop. And we're sending signals to our reward. You know, the reward parts of our brain are lighting up. And again, the more rewards we get, the more likely we are to engage in a new behavior. Yeah, that's great. And this is something that leaders need to be really conscious of, whether it's a team leader or a whole organization leader, that we need to send the right signals that experimenting is good, that mistakes are expected, that when you make a mistake, you don't get punished. You know, obviously, if there are really significant ones, you've got different issues, but you want to really encourage that experimentation in the culture. One thing we do at NLI, we have what we call mistake of the month, where we, we share out the dumbest thing someone did. Most months I have something in there because I'm always experimenting and making mistakes a lot. But your mistake of the month is like literally the whole company hearing about something that someone did and sharing that and then also hearing the learning from it. So I think it's really important that teams and organizations actually encourage experimentation and accept, you know, that these things can, uh, can go wrong. If you're enjoying this podcast, you're going to love NLI's annual conference, the Neuroleadership Summit. This year, the all-virtual summit centers around building a better normal and will offer three days of impactful sessions focused on your most pressing issues, how to remain resilient, how to thrive through crises, allyship, equity, equality, and fairness, and continually learning while in a work-from-home world. Join us online November 10th through 12th and attend sessions available across the globe. You can watch sessions live on your desktop or access content on the go. We promise you won't want to miss it. To register and learn more, visit summit.neuroleadership.com. To save on a three-day non-member pass, use the promo code PODSUMMIT2020. That's PODSUMMIT2020. We look forward to seeing you there. So value progress is one of the second foundations we talk about, one of the habits you want to build in order to embrace a growth mindset. And what do we mean by that? That means realizing it's also about the journey. Generally, as probably most of you know, a lot of, especially in the, in the business world, you know, we're often focused on what's the result? What's the result? And so we tend to place more value on the end rather than on the journey. And we find that research has shown that often people who adopt a fixed mindset around a particular situation, they tend to have a, a snapshot of one moment in time of their performance. Like, ah, oh, I blew that segment of that presentation I gave when they're working on a project that spans, say, six months, and they focus on that little thing, and then they can end up beating themselves up 
And if they experience a setback, then it just looms in their head and it increases distress. Then they're not really able to focus on what they're doing. And then say maybe it's a success of what they do, but then they become fixed in that. And they're more likely to compare themselves to others. So there's this thing of just kind of taking, again, that snapshot rather than looking at the journey over time. And what studies show is that people who adopt a growth mindset around something, they're more likely to value their progress over time. Where were they before? Where are they now? Where are they headed? What's the progress we've made? And when we engage in new behaviors and we're making these new connections, it needs attention and reinforcement. So remember, this is not a time to go on autopilot. This is where we need to give conscious effort to that. And one of the ways in which we can direct our attention around that, one of the strategies we talk about at NLI is called reappraisal. And that's the strategy that what helps you shift your focus from in the moment negative self-judgment to valuing progress over time. And so a reappraisal allows us to see a situation differently, hopefully in a positive light, where we can reframe things in a positive light. And so another, other terms for reappraisal are reframing and recontextualizing. So that kind of gives you a sense of what I'm talking about. And I'd just like to share a little experiment with you that some researchers did, where they showed participants a photo of people crying outside of a church, which often, and the people who saw the photo made them really sad. And then the researchers asked the people to imagine that people just came out of a wedding and were crying tears of joy. All of a sudden, the perspective changes. And so it gives us that sense of how when we change our perspective, our view of an event can change as well as our emotional response. And as far as like brain studies are concerned, they found that when people did something like that, what we call positive reappraisal, it activated regions of the brain that allow us to think about things more pragmatically. And then at the same time, it reduced activation in the limbic system, which reduced the emotional impact of a challenging situation. And so just by virtue of us changing, recontextualizing a situation, ah, you know, I blew it. Oh, wait. I didn't blow it totally. Okay, maybe I didn't get it yet. I didn't get it yet, but I can improve. It's a great summary, actually. It's it's really great. It's it's really helpful. And it is reappraisal, isn't it? And it's it's kind of changing how you see this from, I didn't get it to, I just didn't get it yet. I'm on the learning journey. There's a visual here that I think brings it alive, the rule of three, right? Where You're never talking about just, did you achieve something? It's always, where were you? Where are you? Where are you going? And so you've run a fantastic virtual meeting. Great. What did you do three months ago? How was it? Oh, look at all the improvements you've made. Oh, where do you think you can get to in three months? How much better can you get it even more? Right. And so you're always thinking about where you were and where you're going. And it it really changes this desire to sort of be perfect. It turns down that obsession with your status, that obsession with having it exactly right and makes you more open to experimenting as well. So these habits kind of interact with each other as well. Very much do you want to so. so. take us through the third one? Yes. Um, also just to tag on what David was saying about valuing progress, like when we start taking the focus off ourselves and beating ourselves up, that gives us more cognitive capacity to deal with learning and improving, interacting with others, which would segue into learning from others. So when we adopt this attitude that we can learn and develop and grow, one of those is to learn from others. And like in the workplace, it's not just from the experts, it's also from the generalists. It's from everybody. And when we take it in our personal life, same thing, we have so much to learn from. We have so many people we can learn from. We can get their feedback, we can get their guidance, we can get their knowledge. Why do we need to remember to learn from others? 
Well, we have huge blind spots. So we often think we sometimes we think we a lot of hubris, of course, we think we know all there is to know. We might think that we view the world in the right way and that everybody views the world that, in the way that we do. It can also be the thing of like, I, if I'm not so good at something, I want to avoid any kind of feedback or any kind of reflection that would show that I don't really know this. And so then we just create these barriers so we just don't see certain things. Whereas people who adopt a growth mindset, they see opportunities to learn in everyday actions. So they seek out knowledge and feedback from all kinds of people, from role models to reverse mentors. Those are people like we talk, technology seems to be the topic right now, right? So you might be a senior person in your corporation, but you're maybe not as well-versed in certain areas of technology where you have this relationship with a, you know, a mentor where you both are mentoring each other in the areas of knowledge and expertise. So just what are the ways we can learn from others? Ask regularly for input and feedback. So if any of you know NLI, we're very big on feedback and asking for feedback. Because there's one study that was conducted that found that when people asked for feedback, the person who was asked felt more comfortable in giving honest feedback. And so when we create a culture where we ask for feedback, people can feel comfortable in doing that and actually giving you more constructive feedback. And part of that is seeking out others. And very importantly, apply what you're learning. So we can learn information, but it's really important that we apply it and we do it. And then that can become a new behavior. And we do that so it becomes a habit, but hopefully a a mindful habit that is about learning and growing. It's such an interesting one, this one. Like if you had to pick one habit to work on for growth mindset, it's asking for input or perspectives or feedback, however you want to frame it, but like really asking people. Because what happens is we, we don't actually get very much feedback or very useful feedback. And we did an actual bio study sending a team of scientists into a company and setting up this whole research study of, of people giving and receiving feedback, collecting bio data. So it was a fascinating study. What we found is that giving feedback is actually just as stressful as receiving it, often more, which is why we don't do it very much or very well. We tend to just give the positive stuff because we're, you know, we're really anxious about how people will take it. But receiving feedback also you know, really, really stressful. But when someone asks, it actually halves, roughly halves the stress level for both people, the giver and receiver. So it's, it's a really huge differential in something that we think is the major block to feedback, which is the threat response. It's a huge, huge differential when people actually ask. So we do a lot of work on kind of how do you create an asking for feedback culture rather than a feedback culture, and it makes enormous difference. But one piece of research really kind of blew my head off around sort of why we need to ask. It turns out that other people know you better in terms of your skills, abilities, and potential than you know yourself, even if those people have only known you for a short time, like talk to you for 15 minutes. Other people are actually more accurate about what you're capable of, what your skills are, this kind of thing. There are some exceptions to that. There's a few specific, you know, technical skills. It's obviously hard to know. But on the whole, others are more accurate about you than you. So if we're just trying to kind of live in a cave and look into ourselves and we're not getting lots of feedback from others, we're missing enormously important information from other humans. So we've built a whole kind of body of work on this. There's a really good piece we wrote in Strategy and Business Magazine around feedback and feedback culture. Michaela, you want to add to that? Yeah, I just want to add that it is really important for us to have a growth mindset because we know, oh, I should be asking for feedback, but it could also be this thing, I really don't want to hear the feedback. And so we also need to be able to adopt that growth mindset because it does reduce the threat of information that we'll get where we can like, oh, I can use this for good. This is to help me rather yeah. than this is a reflection of 
where I'm failing. And so it's really, really important. You need to have that growth mindset because otherwise you're still going to, you might still ask for it, but you still might have that, you know, reaction. You need that growth mindset to give it and to receive it. Absolutely. It changes things a lot. So it's interesting. What could happen if we ask for feedback regularly? What could happen? What would that be like? What, What are some of the implications of that? What do you think some of the things that might happen in your life, in your work that could happen if you asked for feedback? I mean, I'll tell you one thing, you could literally get better every single day at tasks that matter to you. Like if you give presentations, like literally every single day, you could get a tiny bit better and regular. Yeah. I would just make the comment that just really briefly that often with ourselves, it depends on like who the person is. Sometimes we don't step into our abilities, we'll downplay, we'll minimize like, oh, I'm not really that good. So where maybe deep down we do, but we are not used to and we have not been allowed to kind of step into our abilities. I would say that's one thing. And there are other things where there's some people who think they're way better than they actually are. So you can have these, you know, you can have yeah. a gamut of individual experience. So I just want to say yeah. that I don't necessarily it's, think it's a rabbit hole because there's definitely yeah. some contradictions between growth mindset and a strengths approach. And we're not going to have time to unpack that today, unfortunately, but we can have a conversation another time about that. Maybe something, Michaela, that's we could, something we could write about at some point, the sort of inherent contradictions and supports between growth. Right. And Kirsten, the Dunning-Kruger effect. So yeah. yes. Yes. We might write something about that. It would be fun. Right. So let's kind of bring this together. Thanks for taking us through lots of that, Michaela. You've got these three habits. You don't want to build them one at a time. You don't want to like try to build experiment and value progress and learn from others all at once. What you really want to do is work on experiment, ideally not just on your own and learn about it, but actually with a team of people that matter. Because now you can hold each other account and bounce other ideas off each other and kind of as a team, ideally go through and start experimenting more. Now, spending at least a week on that, maybe two weeks, maybe even a month, but probably one to two weeks is ideal, really practicing more about experimenting. So, and then again, with valuing progress, just make sure you uh, learn that one at a time. So these are skills that you can kind of learn. Now, I'll give you some data of you know, where we've taught this to organizations these are two data points specifically on growth mindset, not so much just on feedback, but on growth mindset, a couple of different studies. This is the percentage of people now actually activating a growth mindset. And we've seen all the way up to 95%. We've seen probably the lowest result is like 75% of large audiences, like thousands often of people, often thousands of people. So, so you can get a really significant impact in the number of people that are actually applying this mindset. Now, let me just go a little bit further into the, some of the industry research. This was one of the big findings from one of the studies we did that top leader support is so important with growth mindset. You can't just tell people it's important. You, you actually have to have the top leaders exhibiting this. That's a really key thing. And we, we end up doing a lot of briefings, a lot of research briefings on growth mindset to top teams to really get them across the whole concept The other thing is just getting leaders to really inspire others and share their experiments and share their mistakes and share their learnings. And this is how leaders have to role model. They have to actually get in there and and really live this, not just talk about it, you know, as important. But we've been able to do that with some pretty difficult teams at times, you know, up to thousands and thousands of leaders and, and create pretty significant movement. One of the things I find with growth mindset is people kind of see it as valuable for their lives. Like when you teach this to people, they're like, wow, this could help me with my golf game, they say is a joke, but then what they actually realize is it could help them with their partnership at home or with their teenage kids or with their exercise routine or like people see that this actually could really help them not just be a better leader, but a more healthy, successful human. And so they, they often really get passionate about it and really embody it. We've had a lot of success 
this is probably the easier thing to teach people. And in a diversity, equity, and inclusion pathway, we might start with this before teaching how to mitigate bias, before teaching inclusion and raising voices. We might start with growth mindset just to kind of lay the foundation for openness and learning. If we have the opportunity to do like a two-year pathway, we might start with this because it's such a great place to kind of open leaders' minds and hearts to really, really learning. And final thing I'll say, just particularly for those new to our work, what we've just shown you are the three habits of growth mindset that make the biggest difference. Experiment, focus on progress, learn from others. You want to learn those with lots of people at once. You want to learn them one at a time, but also you want to make this a priority and you want to install this in your system. It's like how you do performance management, right? That's come up. How you do talent management, how you do assessment, how you do development, all of it. So growth mindset is relevant to priorities, habits, and systems. And it's really, really helpful to think about all three. This is our approach to, uh, to change at scale. So a couple of uh, closing comments, just Michaela, any closing comments from you just about kind of building this from seeing this and the science, anything you want to add? I was just saying, it's just really important for all of us to remember to be kind and gentle to ourselves. And there are going to be some things that we're going to beat ourselves up over. And then just to remember, oh yeah, I'm not good at that yet. And that yes, we can be fixed mindset around certain things and growth mindset around other things. It's not just a blanket thing. And it's just a matter of being aware and being gentle and kind and knowing we can evolve, we can grow, we can develop, and it's all okay. It's all okay. I've been learning piano again. I got a piano, I've been really uh, playing quite a bit. I'm really enjoying it. But I noticed I had such a growth mindset about kind of playing my own pieces and just sort of improvising around simple things, but a fixed mindset about reading music. And I, I really noticed it. And and even a growth mindset about aspects of reading music, but other things I'm like, oh, that's not me. David, so that's just, so funny. I'm just the opposite. I love reading music. I'm fine. They asked me to improv. Yes. There we go. So it's, 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 you know, really different for everyone, but just, I really like what you said, Michaela, be gentle with yourself, especially in this time, be really gentle and kind with yourself. As you notice a fixed mindset, just like being gentle with others, be gentle with yourself about that mindset and just think about, oh, how could I focus on progress? How could I experiment a little? How could I just really focus on my progress or who could I learn from? Experiment, value, progress, learn from others. Those are the critical habits. All right, Michaela, thanks so much for being here and partnering with me on uh, sharing this important work. Thanks everyone and uh, take care of yourselves, look after each other and keep doing what matters. We'll hope to see you uh, in coming weeks. Thanks everyone. Your Brain at Work is produced by the Neuroleadership Institute. You can help us in making organizations more human by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Danielle Kirschenblatt, and Cliff David is our production manager. Original music is by Grant Zubritsky, and logo design is by Catchware. We'll see you next time.